Hello and welcome to Language Rules. My name is Annette and this is episode number five about Turkish. That means we get to know the first member of the Turkic language family. And as always, I'm happy to have a guest here with me who is a native speaker of Turkish and also does research on Turkish. Welcome, Özlem. Hello. <laughs> nice to have you here on my podcast couch. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And nice to be here. I suggest we start right away with the traditional segment of you introducing yourself in Turkish. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, if you could say a few words about you. Okay. Um, merhaba, ben Özlem. Ee, Samsun'da doğdum, büyüdüm. İstanbul'da okudum. Ee, ve şimdi dört senedir Almanya'dayım. Okay, thanks. Okay. <laughs> um, so, merhaba is like, uh -huh. hello. Exactly. And I, so, so the first question, um, do I pronounce your name correctly? Because I have the f had the feeling now that the way I say it is not like the... Really? I, guess. I don't know. Okay, just it, tell it, me. <laughs> it sounded a bit more like Islam, maybe. I heard it several times. If yeah. you ask me, so I'm saying E. Mm -hmm. But actually, I got this comment more than once, so... Okay, so it's not just me. <laughs> yeah, so if you ask me, I'm saying Özlem, mm -hmm. but yeah, okay. I heard that others here between e and a. By the way, non-native speakers are telling me this. Yeah, so okay. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and so Ben Özlem is like mm -hmm. I. I am Özlem. I am Özlem. Okay, uh -huh. and then I. Yeah, I got Istanbul and that's about it. So <laughs> <what>? <laughs> so before that, I said that uh, uh, I was born and raised in Samsun. This is my mm -hmm. hometown. Mm -hmm. And then I said I studied in Istanbul. And then I said uh, I now I'm in Germany for four years. Okay. Yeah. And before you were in Dublin, right? Exactly. Yeah. For again, for almost three years, I was there in Dublin, uh, also working there. Mm -hmm. And what do you do? Uh, so I'm a researcher. Now I'm a postdoc at uh, Stuttgart University. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm working on uh, natural language processing in computational linguistics department. So you're um, a colleague of Anders who was uh, exactly. here some episodes ago and uh -huh. told us a bit about Swedish. Um, and you also work on Turkish, actually. I do, yeah, yeah. So um, we will talk a bit more about that uh, later. Um, where exactly is, is the city where you um, come from? In which part of Turkey? Uh, this is the north coast mm -hmm. of Turkey. 
So um, if you think Turkey as a rectangular and uh, this is really uh, on the um, north part of the rectangular and in the middle mm -hmm. of that rectangular. Uh, but you have also studied in Istanbul? Yes, I studied there and uh, I had my undergrad, master and PhD there. So in overall, I spent 13 years. Wow. Yeah. So okay. I'm, I would say that I was halfway Istanbul resident because uh, when I left my hometown, I was barely 18. So mm, okay. although I say that I was born and raised in my hometown, you know, actually, this is where I was grown up. Uh, Istanbul is the city where I became me. Did you already start studying at 18? Is it, uh, do you start? Yes, in, so in Turkey, early? this is usually the case. You graduate from high school at 17 or 18. Mm -hmm. So a bit earlier than German system, I guess. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, here it's... Um, also getting earlier and earlier like <laughs> the, they try to get out um the pupils on the market uh, <laughs> as early as possible um yeah and how, how is istanbul so i i haven't been there but i i want to go there uh, at some point because um i always hear and see that it's culturally rich mm -hmm. because it's at the boundary of uh, mm -hmm. Europe and uh, Asia and um, yeah so to me it seems really uh, a nice place to go. It is I think uh, it is a great place to visit as a tourist uh, but it's not so great place to live okay. <laughs> to be honest so um I was always thinking that when I first started living there, I was always thinking that I can never live there. Actually, I was really in love with the city. I still love there and I still miss it so much. But at the same time, I really don't want to live there anymore <laughs> because it is uh, around 12 million with a lot of traffic problems and all things that come with so many people. But on the other hand, it's a very great city to visit because it is really the mix of a lot of cultures and uh, a nice um, landscape, nice history, nice food, mostly nice people. <laughs> no, I can't really claim all these 12 million are great, but <laughs> still. <laughs> Most of them. Most of uh, them are sure. nice people. <laughs> We can say, yeah. So as a tourist, yes, definitely a must-see, I would say. Turkey itself is kind of special because it's located on two mm -hmm. continents, but the the European uh, part is really small, mm -hmm. right? It is, yes. Um, yeah, does that bring any problems or advantages? So if you're asking about the... Um um, being between Europe and Asia mm -hmm. in general. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would say it has advantages and disadvantages. The mm -hmm. advantage is, uh, so uh, actually it is the, the same thing has the advantage and disadvantage that is being quite mixed, mm -hmm. I would say. Mm -hmm. and, and especially being a big empire before being a republic, smaller republic, um, uh, it is really quite rich culture and quite mix of people quite um uh, but it, it also means that um it is just uh, um like a gateway mm -hmm. 
Um, and one side of the gateway isn't really, um, let's say, the, the, the uh, peaceful part of the world. Mm, <laughs> so. yeah. Um, yeah, as you just said before, uh, Turkey was an empire or mm -hmm. belonged to the Ottoman Empire. And in 1923, it mm -hmm. became a republic. Mm -hmm. Can you say a bit about that? Uh, so this is after the World War One. Basically, the Ottoman Empire was part of it, it and um, and actually uh, it was on the losing side. <laughs> so, uh, which means that uh, the the empire really shrank a lot after the war, and at the same time um, there were a lot of Uh, other countries coming and taking the land, like the British, the French, the Italian, and uh, the Greek, <laughs> and uh, which means that this is what we call, at least in our history, as is our independence war. So right after the World War One, we had our independence uh, war. And uh, after the war, we had our current borders, more or less. And as a result of this, the, the leader of the independence war, together with um, his followers and friends, just uh, established a new system, because before that it was the, and then there's an emperor, but then Atatürk, this leader, just um, decided to have a republic instead, mm -hmm. basically. So the um, parliament is actually dates back to 1920. So there is some three, almost three years of uh, both a, a, a parliament uh, and, and, and then um, uh, emperor. And of course, they don't think each other as the, the like, you know, they wouldn't really recognize each other. And then uh, by the time 1923, the war is over and then there is a, a republic. And um, yeah, then even the um, capital changed because it was Istanbul before that for centuries. But now it is Ankara. Basically, when I was talking about this rectangular, basically just uh, in the middle of this rectangular. Mm -hmm. Back then it was just a small town. But it, on purpose, they said that, okay, because we should kind of detach ourselves from this Ottoman Empire. We are a new country, so we should have our new own capital. And, uh, and after that, actually, a lot of things has changed in Turkey. Um, when Atatürk was leading, he had these ideas of um, revolutions. And uh, we changed, um, like, First of all, Republic itself, but not only this, um, changing uh, how people are dressing up, changing things about the religion, changing things about the education, like for instance, having no um, religious schools and then um, having uh, a secular country. And among these, What could be interesting to us is um, changing the script and having a 
revolution in the language. Basically, again, uh, trying to uh, remove the Arabic and Persian influence in their language and going back to the Turkish origins of old Turkish. One result of this uh, empire that existed before is that uh, Turkish is not only spoken in Turkey, so most mm -hmm. of the speakers are in Turkey, but there are also some smaller uh, groups of speakers in uh, in the other countries that were part of the Ottoman Empire, like Cyprus and Bulgaria and Greece and Macedonia. And another country with a lot of Turkish speakers is Germany, mm -hmm. where we are now. Around three million people here have at least one parent that immigrated from Turkey. That's around 3.7 of the population, which mm -hmm. doesn't sound so much, but um, apparently Turkish is the second most widely spoken language in Germany, after mm -hmm. German, <laughs> obviously. When you came here, did you notice right away that there are a lot of Turkish speakers? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, it was really funny for me because... Um, Before coming here, I was living in Dublin, and in Dublin there aren't really many Turkish speakers. So um, when I hear English, uh, Turkish in Dublin, uh, I was just really just turning my head because it was such something that's unusual. Mm -hmm. And I came here, and the first week I was really, really reacting to everything every time I hear Turkish, which means that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really looking a bit funny I guess and then I realized that okay it's like Turkey more or less you can really hear Turkish on the street a lot and it actually also ha uh, helped me a lot because uh, when I came here first time I didn't know any uh, German and especially in the shops in the uh, on the main street for instance um, when I wanted to buy um, I don't know a new phone And I have to deal with some, I don't know, uh, simple shopping. <laughs> The challenges of everyday life. Yes, exactly. So it was, uh, uh, I was able to switch to Turkish sometimes, which really simplified things for me. Do you have the feeling that the Turkish spoken here is somehow different from the Turkish in Turkey? Uh, it is actually. Uh, people speaking uh, Turkish here are Uh, different from the ones in Turkey. The Turkish spoken here is different from. <laughs> <laughs> People are aliens, yes. <laughs> uh, the Turkish spoken here is different from Turkish spoken in Turkey. Um, mainly because uh, people here kept their dialects uh, that they brought from Turkey and on top of that they combine it with some uh, German words. Yeah, so what I hear uh, quite frequently when I'm traveling uh, on the train, for instance, is um, people are speaking in Turkish, but somehow very naturally, actually, they are just switching to German and back to Turkish again. And it is really interesting, uh, especially, again, uh, at the very beginning, when I didn't understand any bit of German. To me, it was like, I understand, I understand, something, something, and then <laughs> <laughs> and the, the sentence continues again. 
uh, and as I tell you, so uh, as a speaker of English, as a second language, of course, I, I also sometimes insert English words into Turkish sentences if I'm talking to somebody who knows English, but uh, that is definitely different from how I insert things. Uh, because uh, I would normally insert only uh, simple words at most, some nouns, uh, but what they insert here is really more structured things and uh, somehow the whole sentence structure is more complex. So in fact, I have also um, observed this phenomenon like people uh, talking Turkish and German like like just in the middle of the sentence they, they use a, a German word or switch to Turkish. And so for me, it's the other way around. Like yes. I, <laughs> I, I understand the other half of the, the, the conversation. Yeah, and I remember that once I um, like I overheard a couple fighting more or less, <laughs> and they did it also like switching from German to Turkish and back. And I tried to find the pattern. So which words do they say in German and which do they use in Turkish? Because I was like uh, had the hypothesis that maybe there are some words in in some concepts in Germany that. Where, where you don't have mm -hmm. words in Turkish or the other way around, but I didn't really find the pattern. So mm -hmm. I don't know if you have any more <laughs> insights about no, that. No, I don't have the pattern either. Actually, this is what I'm uh, really curious about to the point that I'm even thinking about doing research on that. Mm -hmm. uh, but seriously, it is not uh, easy to me. And it's not, as I tell you, uh, so I, I, I am not bilingual. I only speak uh, English as a second language. So it is I, what I can at least tell is it is different from inserting uh, some language uh, as a second language because it is really, they are bilinguals and mm -hmm. they, they can really switch in a different way. You already said that uh, one of the reforms when the Republic was founded was that the script was changed mm -hmm. um, because before... Turkish was written in the Ottoman script, mm -hmm. so it was based on the Arabic alphabet. Yes. And then um, in 1928, a new alphabet was introduced, and now Turkish, the Turkish alphabet is based on the Latin mm -hmm. alphabet, like English. Um, and from what I read, um, this new alphabet also is a better representation of the Turkish sounds because in the Arabic script, you couldn't really um, represent all the sounds that Turkish has. Mm, that's true. Um, but now, finally, we can't represent some other <laughs> words in Turkish because they're coming from Arabic. Yeah. <laughs> These are loan words. Now we kind of lost how to represent those ones. Okay. But so. <laughs> still, the coverage is higher, I guess, in overall. <laughs> But all in all, um, it seems that the relationship between letters and sound is really uh, so really close. So you yeah, have that's true. actually a one-to-one -one relationship yes. and it's it's really easy to read. So once you know which letter represents which sound, mm -hmm. you can more or less read uh, a text. So I have the feeling, at least when yes. I read, uh, I read it. Also, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'm not objective. <laughs> no, no, I think it is one of those languages where uh, the mapping is quite one-to-one -one and uh, you can quite easily read. 
And another nice thing is that you don't have consonant clusters mm -hmm. like uh, um, like in German, for example. And you don't even have uh, diphthongs like That's uh, au, oi, or something yes. like that. So whenever two vowels meet, you would pronounce you them pronounce as both of them. separate letters. Mm -hmm. um, and that, so there are some uh, special Turkish letters like with diacritics. Mm -hmm. For example, the the S and the C with the little hook mm -hmm. underneath, like the C D. Mm -hmm. um, those are sh and ch. Yes, Is that right. Uh, so, so that's a good example for this one-to-one -one relationship because in English you would have to write these C -H sounds. and C H, yeah, uh -huh. S H and C H for that. But in Turkish you would only write one letter. And and even that's not even the only possibilities. Like in English. Uh, it could also be, so for this uh, ch, it could also be T, S, T, C, H, or, yeah. Yeah. Um, and another special uh, consonant is this G. Yeah. With the G hook on top. G breathe. I think it is uh, specific to Turkic languages. I'm not sure about that, uh -huh. but most probably. I know that other Turkic languages also has it, and... Uh, Yeah, but I think it is really specific to only to this family, at least in that representation. So this is uh, what we call a soft G. So we have G, uh, for instance, gal and to come, like uh, in English, go and game. I think it is the same G. Uh, but then we have this soft G and you don't really pronounce it. Very uh, roughly, we can say that uh, it makes the the vowel before itself a kind of a long vowel. For instance, three means arch, and it is written as a the soft G a and C cedula. And what you do is you don't say arch. Because mm -hmm. normally, if you d you don't have this soft G in between, you would really pronounce them as uh, two vowels, right? Like you already said, we don't really have these uh, diphthongs. So it is um, it is not a arch, but it is arch. So you don't really hear a G, but you just make the first A a bit longer. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and also maybe because of this, uh, this soft G can never be the first letter of a word. It's always after all, a all vowel. After a vowel. Yeah. yeah. Yeah. So probably the, the most famous word outside of Turkey is Erdogan. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and uh, sometimes in the news, uh, I hear people say Erdogan. Uh -huh. yeah, so, yeah. And apparently there, there is some debate among linguists how to define this uh -huh. or what kind of sound it is uh -huh. um but maybe the the easiest way is your description mm -hmm. like it's it's a bit like lengthening yeah. the vowel um we will talk about vowels a bit more later okay <laughs> um one more thing that you also mentioned um that was established with the Republic mm -hmm. was in 1932 
um, the Turkish Language Association was founded. And you already said that the goal was to um, go back to the Turkic rules, more uh -huh. or less. And when I read about that, I uh, immediately had to think about Icelandic, mm -hmm. um, which we talked about in the, in the last uh, two episodes, because they have something similar, like this uh, association um, that makes sure that the language stays pure, so to say. Mm -hmm. uh, and they also have these efforts to, uh, or they, yeah, they started with uh, getting rid of all the Danish loan mm -hmm. words and replacing them by um, words from Icelandic roots. Mm -hmm. And they still have this concept of whenever a new concept needs a new word, they try to create words from Icelandic roots. Um, and yeah, for Turkish, it, it's really similar, but uh, about the Arabic and Persian mm -hmm. uh, loan words. And uh, so the goal was to um, replace them with Turkish equivalents. Um, and also um, with similar principles as in Icelandic, like reviving um, words from old Turkish that, that weren't in use anymore and to get, give them a new meaning. But the difference, as far as I can tell, is that in Icelandic, this works really well. Mm -hmm. And in Turkish, uh, it led to younger people and older people using different words for the same concepts. Mm -hmm. um, and today, some words still, or some concepts still have both words. You can use both That's words, true. like the Arabic one and the Turkish equivalent. But sometimes they have like a slightly different meaning. So uh, I read about the word pain, for pain. Uh -huh. um, there is the um, word... Adieu, one of them. And the <laughs> Which one? Adieu. Adieu. Or I don't know, pain. There is one dert. Dert. A dart. dart. Uh, okay. Mm -hmm. That's from Persian. Okay. And according to Wikipedia, it says that the, that means more like problem or trouble. Yes, exactly. And then Not pain, I wouldn't call it. Okay. Yeah, apparently that's the, huh, the origin. The origin okay, is we from just changed that. it already. I yeah. Don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it it slightly the meaning slightly Shifted, changed. Yeah. But, um, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and the word that I think it's the word you said, agil. Yes, agil. And that's the physical pain. Yes. So, yeah. What is the word for computer in Turkish? Ah, computer is bilgisayar. This is one of the words uh, this Turkish Language Association introduced and worked well, mm -hmm. I guess. Uh, it is really uh, widely used instead of anything like computer. And uh, it means uh, uh, counts information, basically. Information counter, maybe. And counter in the sense of... so Really one, two, like count, four. exactly. That count. <laughs> Saymak is the verb, and um, bilgi is, uh, yeah, unfortunately in Turkish you don't have the distinction of uh, information, knowledge, and data. <laughs> so you can really, okay. depending on the context, bilgi could be any of them. You can say it as a data counter or information counter, I don't know. Yeah, but both makes sense. Yeah, so. <laughs> in a way, <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, yeah that's, that's really interesting how, like, different languages try to explain this concept because uh -huh. in in Icelandic it was something like uh, a number fortune teller 
<laughs> and and then in Chinese we had that as well, and it I think that was like electric brain. Uh -huh. So and they all make sense to me. And actually, the the English word like computer yes is also really yes. I mean that's what it does. It computes stuff. It computes, yeah. But it's not as poetic, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so what what do you think, or maybe what did people tell you? People who don't speak Turkish. Um, What do such people think is typical for Turkish <laughs> when they think about Turkish? How do, how yeah? How does it look like? What does it sound like to them? So usually, um, in countries where people are not exposed to Turkish that much, they are always puzzled. They can't really say what language that is. They are <laughs> people are when they hear me speaking with another Turkish speaker. They really approach and ask what language is that, and they can't really tell. Uh, but in Germany, <laughs> I think it is uh, mostly known as the language with uh, uh, uh. <laughs> This is what the Germans hear, I think. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah, this is the <laughs> comments I get here. Uh, and uh, I don't know, maybe because uh, Germans can hear U uh, because this is also in their <laughs> language. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's actually a good uh, question. Why why this U is so like why it is prominent to the German it, ears? Yeah, yeah, yeah, I don't know because uh, as I tell you, I I don't hear it. I I hear it several times here, but I don't hear it. I didn't hear such a comment uh, from uh, other nationalities that okay. much. Mm -hmm. Some people said that it looks like Korean or Japanese, okay. which could be because I think not because of how it is spoken, because to me they look very different. But um, yeah, some people also told me they find it hard to notice the word boundaries. Uh, and in that sense, they said that it is similar to Korean or Japanese, which then makes a bit sense because maybe because of their also being agglutinative, they also sound like like that. As I tell you, I can't really tell myself mm -hmm. and it sounds very different to me than those languages, but I heard such comments also. Basically, you already mentioned the, yeah, like two <laughs> characteristic um, features of Turkish, like this, this uu thing. Um, I also have the feeling that there are <laughs> <laughs> I have some examples of words where where there are yeah there are us it's not <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it but is also possible that you have consecutive us like you know <laughs> all the vowels in, in one word is all us yeah but uh, I mean the there is of course a reason for that and this mm -hmm. this is uh, vowel harmony um, and the other thing that you already mentioned is that Turkish is an agglutinative language. Mm -hmm. So this is really hard, hard to pronounce, agglutinative. Um, and it's, it's from Latin, agglutinare, which basically means glue together. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that's what you do, yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> so you, you um, glue together small entities, morphemes, mm -hmm. um, to form new words and new meanings and even sentences. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe the reason why people have uh, problems finding the word boundaries because, well, 
there's so many small elements sometimes mm -hmm. um, and if you don't know which elements exist um, and so and, and words can get really long if you um, put together many uh, morphemes yeah then uh, it just looks like um, like someone threw their fingers on the <laughs> on the <t> on the keyboard, <laughs> but still paying attention to put on the same marbles after all, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so there are some extreme examples mm -hmm. of of uh, long Turkish words. There's one really famous. Mm -hmm. Can can you say it? Czechoslovakialulashtermadiklerimuzdanmusnes. <laughs> so that is one. Uh, one word yeah it's written one at one yeah one string of letters mm -hmm. um what does it mean okay <laughs> <laughs> so basically i should first <laughs> explain that there are uh, multiple derivational suffixes there and because of that it is actually a sentence <laughs> in english yeah, okay. so uh the, the beginning is Czechoslovakia, which is Czechoslovakia, the, the, the former Czech Republic. And um, are you one of those that we couldn't be able to make a Czechoslovak citizen, something like that, I think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and is that something that you usually say? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> So it is a well-known uh, example and actually it is in a way made up example because it is like Czechoslovakia itself is such a long country name. Uh, but actually uh, every suffix there is really productive and uh, currently really frequently used. Uh, so which means that you don't really bring all of them together at once to build these, I don't know, 50, 60 character long words, but you are really using those things a lot. That's why it's very, really easy to pronounce those uh, suffixes together or it's e easy to pronounce even something similar. So I can really just do, instead of um, Czechoslovakia, I can just make it America. <laughs> <laughs> and then I can still say the same word like America lastremodiklerimuzdanmusunus. So, <laughs> as I tell you, on its own, that particular word or the American version is, they are not frequent, but it is somehow still in the usage. It is not some mm. completely made up example. It's a nice example of how you can always just put one more suffix at the end and then the meaning slightly shifts slightly. Mm -hmm. I guess the, the only boundary is like the the human the capacity of the human brain to <laughs> process uh, one more piece so th these are extreme examples but to maybe to demonstrate a bit more uh, in detail how it works i thought we start with this more simple example um so how about the word for house house very simple ev <laughs> yeah it's a really short word short. <laughs> you can letters. make it longer if you like <laughs> And and the good news here is uh, that there is no grammatical gender, uh -huh. like no articles that you uh, have to memorize. So which noun takes which article? Um, 
So you don't have uh, grammatical gender in pronouns either, right? That's true. So there is no he or she. No, he, she, it is only one pronoun in Turkish. If you learn English or some other language that makes this, this distinction, is that hard to it is. get? Like it is. <laughs> so after I don't know how many years of speaking English, like uh, 25, 30, something like that. I, no, not 30, of course, but like minimum 25, I guess. I still make mistakes <laughs> uh, because uh, to me, there's no such distinction. Mm -hmm. Um Like you say, you you talk about a woman and you say he. Yes. So I don't usually do it when it is that easy. If you just complicate things a bit, if you are talking about uh, both a woman and that woman's um, boyfriend, for instance, because which means that first you say, let's say Mary, Mary's boyfriend. And then you say you started with a woman and then the second your word is a um Uh, men all of <laughs> yeah. a sudden then you have to really continue mary's boyfriend uh brought his car like this he's sometimes i sometimes really say her there just, uh, <laughs> although i know it is such a stupid thing but um yeah so no gender but we have six cases yes. um so last time um when we spoke about icelandic we already talked a bit about case because Icelandic has four cases and uh, Turkish has the same, but two more. <laughs> <laughs> so nominative, accusative, dative, genitive, and on top of that, uh, locative and uh, ablative. <laughs> and uh, we will have some examples um, what the difference is. Uh, so, but we could start, I mean, if you say this word for house, if, if um, Is that a house or the house or? No, we don't have any definite or indefinite articles. Uh, but sometimes accusative case actually marks the definiteness uh, within the sentence. So uh, because you can say uh, in Turkish, you say ev gördüm. I saw some house basically. Because it is not definite, but it is not exactly like a eh in English either, I would say. Because if you really want to say, I saw a house and it's like, then you can say bir ev gördüm. This bir uh, could be like an indefinite article. But you can also say without any articles, ev gördüm. Mm -hmm. So this bir is actually the, uh, like one, like the number one. one. Actually, When it, you count, it, is num like it is actually the number one. But it can be also like uh, has something to do with indefiniteness and uh, also with specificity. You can say bir ev gördüm, ev gördüm, and then you can say evi gördüm. This e is the accusative case marker, and uh, then you are talking about a definite, specific, a specific house. House. Mm -hmm. And if you talk about two houses? Uh, if you are uh, using the number in the front, iki ev gördüm, then you don't have the plural suffix. Uh, but you can say evler gördüm, or this lar is then the uh, plural suffix, but you can also say evleri gördüm. 
again because this plural houses could be uh, not specific or specific. Yeah, I saw houses or I saw the yes, houses. Exactly. Yeah, then there is one to one. When it's plural, you can really have one to one correspondence in the English translation. Mm. One of them is I saw houses, and the other one is I saw the houses. And if you want to talk about your house or my house, mm -hmm. then you can say evim mm -hmm. means my. And for um, each uh, person, you will have another suffix evim, evin. Evi, evimiz, eviniz, evleri. So my, you are all going mm -hmm. uh, from first person singular to third person plural. And if you have several houses, then it's like evlerim? Exactly. So if I have several houses, my uh, houses is evlerim. And then you can again uh, change the uh, possessive. Uh, marker evlerin mm -hmm. evleri hmm. your so house so yeah. my, yes, his exactly. house is uh -huh. um. then you can add if you like the case markers for instance i saw my houses evlerimi gördüm this is evler im i mm -hmm. basically and e is this e is big, the accusative case mark which makes it specific my my specific house Yeah, no, for instance, yeah. just because it is already yeah. specific because of the uh, possessive, yeah. you can't really say evlerim gördüm. So you can say ev gördüm or evler gördüm, but you can't say evlerim gördüm. Because now there is a clash, right? Because uh, you really have to put the case marker because it is a definite as it belongs to me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. You could also put... Um, A locative ending on uh, your house. <laughs> yes. Evlerim de. Or evim de. If it's a singular, this is ev, evim, my house, evim de, mm -hmm. at my house. Okay. So the locative is um, one of the basic uses, at least, is that you talk about a place. You are at... at Mm -hmm. A place. Mm -hmm. So, in I guess in English, most of the time you would use like a, a preposition like at my house or yeah, that's the one I can think of now. Now, that is uh, actually the second common mistake Turkish speakers of English mm -hmm. <laughs> do. And, uh, it is really like it could be at and on mm. because for all these uh, prepositions, um, Turkish has only one suffix so it is really hard to map from <laughs> Turkish to English um, because if you will say on the table and you would say masa is table and you will say masada and uh, at home evde this da and they actually are the same suffixes uh, why they changes something else is totally about the vowel harmony um or i don't know on the train i don't know if you just give me some other um prepositions so in english <laughs> i don't ah, know position. Yeah. <laughs> i don't know just that it shows some location it is really basically all of them are de da one of them mm. uh so again 
Uh, so it's easier to translate from English to Turkish. Exactly. But the other way around is harder. Mm. Then another possibility uh, is to talk uh, about like when you go from your house to somewhere mm -hmm. else, for example, then you would use the ablative. Yes. You can say evden. And there is also, uh, we can also say if you want to go to home, like to the house, mm. then you can say eve. That's the dative. Yeah. So I think we covered all of them. Ev, ev, ev, uh, genitive, evi, I think is evim. So we already the house's door or something. Then you could use yeah, the evin, Yes, yes. Evin, couple, couple is uh the door so when you say evin kapısı actually uh, there is some agreement there um ev has the genitive marker but then the uh, ev house has the genitive marker and then uh door uh kapı has the possessive marker because we went through the possessive markers for Turkish, right? Then if you want to say my house, you can say evim. But actually you can also use the uh, possessive pronoun benim evim. Then they should really match. Senin evin, onun evi, <laughs> bizim evimiz, and so on and so forth. And then you have like an extra pronoun that's like my, your. Mm -hmm, exactly. Yeah, yeah that's... Uh, also something characteristic about Turkish that you can just drop leave uh, drop mm -hmm. pronouns yeah. yeah pro drop pro drop yeah <laughs> uh, because it's also more always more marked on the verb that uh, the person is marked on the verb and the cool thing now is that um, you cannot only use these uh, person markers for verbs but you can also use them to turn a noun into a sentence more or less that's right? true so when you when we stay with this uh, house example mm -hmm. uh, if you want to say i am at my house mm -hmm. uh, ben evdeyim so ben means i so which is actually possible to drop you can only say evdeyim mm -hmm. which is the full sentence anyways and it means uh, ev is the house part there is at so i'm at home so sorry only evde is at home and then yim part is uh, i am because if you want to say you are at home then you would say evdesin mm -hmm. so then then you have evde and then evdeyiz mm -hmm. is the first person plural evdesin is second person plural and evdeler third person you can of course also have sentences wh where you have a noun and a verb mm -hmm. um, so yeah um, i think as you already said i see a house bir ev gördüm or ev gördüm mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. ev and then the, the gördüm verb. is that gör is to see and du is the past tense part and M uh, is first person singular. So it was actually I saw. Yes, I saw, saw my house. house. Uh, yeah, so as we said, the pronoun can be dropped and the, the basic uh, sentence order is subject, object, verb. Mm -hmm. Like in English, it's subject, 
verb object most mm -hmm. of the time. And in, uh, in Turkish, the verb is always at the end. Uh, so Turkish is free word order. So you don't have to put it at the end. But the most common uh, word order is the basic, uh, the basic, the, the most frequent one is really subject object verb. And you can also have uh, nominal sentences like mm -hmm. um, in English, you would say things like uh, the house is big. So mm -hmm. you have this is, mm -hmm. which is called a copular verb. And in, in Turkish, you don't. I don't know, you don't have it or you don't need to use it? Uh, we have it, but we don't have to use it. Um, you can say ev büyüktür. This büyük is big, the adjective. You can, this tür is the copular suffix, but you can omit it. And you can just simply say ev büyük. It's like house, house big. big. Yes, which is... Uh, then in that particular case, the order is important because if you want to say big house, you say büyük ev. Just turn it around. Just turn it around. <laughs> we already said you can easily turn a word into a sentence, um, but you can also like uh, uh, turn a noun into an adjective, for example. So mm -hmm. one example that, that I like, if you say something like the house with a garden, mm -hmm. then actually what you do is you say, uh, or what you can do is You take the word garden, put a suffix on it and turn it into an adjective. Uh -huh. And then it's like a, a gardenish house or something. <laughs> yes. So it's, it's uh, yeah, it seems to be really flexible. The words seem to be really long, but actually I have the feeling it's more compact. Than yes, I also have the feeling that you can say things in a more condensed way. So actually... Um, If you look at things like, for instance, um, if you if you look at um, the collected documents that we use in our research and compare it to other languages, Turkish sentences are much shorter mm -hmm. than the average sentences of, let's say, English or German. Mm -hmm. uh, it's mostly because all these uh, prepositions and uh, articles. And sometimes all these um, verbal constructions and everything are uh, just suffixes in Turkish. Something that could be, I don't know, five words in English is only one word in Turkish. Mm. Okay. Um, another frequent construction is uh, existential sentences. So when you say something like, there is a house. Uh -huh. Then it's if var, right? Yes. So this, this var is like marks existence, yes. more or less. So I don't know. Does it really mean? So do you really think of it like it means exists, or how would you? Basically, var is uh, you can see it as an adjective. Like when you say house is big. So house is existent. <laughs> it is more yeah. or less working the same way. Uh. You can really take, think it as an adjective because you can say ev büyüktü. This tu is the past tense. Then it means the house was big. Then it, it, the same in the parallel way, you can say ev vardı. The, there was a house. Mm -hmm. So this var is the 
the existing existent and then the part is the uh the the past tense so it's really basically i think the literal translation would be um some noun and then is existent mm. instead of saying there is yeah. noun yeah mm-hmm. um You also use this when you say something like, uh, I have a house. Uh, mm-hmm. When you mark possession, yes. then it is literally like, my house exists. Exactly. <laughs> my house is existent. <laughs> my house is existent. <laughs> and, it, and in, in English, you would say, I have a house. Uh-huh. Um, and, and then there's also the negation. Yes. Yok. It's funnier, I yeah. think. Yeah. My, instead of just saying, <laughs> I don't have a house. My house doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> it's my not house existent. is not a, non-existent. Something like that, I think. <laughs> Uh, and and I think there is another way that you could say it using the locative Mm -hmm. at me a house exists yes bande bir ev var could you say it Uh, like that yes you can um, yes it boils down to the same meaning I have a house Mm. basically Uh, yeah and the literal translation is Yeah, at me, house is existent. So another example for uh, how Turkish would, yeah, how, how you use quite different constructions as you would do in English. And another uh, example is if you would use relative sentences in English, um, there you also have another solution in Turkish, right? Mm-hmm. So it's also more like an adjective, actually, like you put it yes. in front of the, mm-hmm. the no- noun. They behave as uh, the adjectives behave, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you do is um, the relative clause, the whole relative clause is preceding the noun that it modifies. And at the end, then you have a um, a suffix so that it is not a clause anymore, but instead behaves as a as if it's an adjective. And at the end of the suffix, you add yet another suffix because the relative clause should have a subject, and the subject should be somehow marked uh, after that. Uh, relative clause suffix, basically. Do you have an example? Uh, um, yes. For instance, when you say, uh, I slept at home. Um, evde uyudum. And, but you want to say the, the house I slept at. Uyudum ev. So, uyudum is the past tense first person singular sleep i slept uyu is sleep and then do is the uh, past tense and m is the first person singular then you take this verb and then put it in front of the house because this is the place you want to modify this is the noun you want to modify and uh, you say uyu Again, you, you start with the verb do. This is this means that did because you don't you still don't say who who did that. Okay, so it just marks <laughs> that it that it's just marks past. that it is past tense and it is a relative. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
And then you doom. The last M is again first person mm -hmm. singular. Mm. So you doom ev, you say. And you cannot really translate it literally. Like it would be like the the I slept something house. So, yeah, uh, this is basically uh, uh, slept slept that I. <laughs> the, this is the order. Yeah, <laughs> slept that I house. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we already mentioned vowel harmony, the reason for the many us. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, to explain it, um, I start with uh, explaining the, the vowel system in Turkish. So we have eight basic vowels and you could um, put them in three dimensions. For each letter, you can say whether it's high or low. So. Um, depending on the place where it's pronounced uh, or the position of the tongue actually when you pronounce it like for example e is high and e is low and another dimension is front and back so that's about yeah also the the place of articulation um, e is considered to be front and r is considered to be back and both are low And the third dimension is whether the vowel is rounded or unrounded. And there uh, we have, for example, E and U. So E is unrounded and U is rounded. Yeah, so this U is the U with two little dots on it. And then there's also uh, another letter with the dots is the Ö. So it's the O with the two dots. Um, and the third uh, Turkish-specific vowel is the undotted I. <laughs> so it looks like an I, but it doesn't have a dot. And it's like... Uh? Uh. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so I think there isn't really an equivalent in, in English for that. It's, uh, it's a bit like uh, just... Uh, but more, more in the E direction. Uh. So when you say milk, it is not... Uh? But closer because you don't say milk, yeah, right? Yeah. So that is towards uh, but I I can't think of anything closer at the moment. Yeah, and vowel harmony um, means that um, all the vowels in the word have to have the same kind of feature set, a feature combination. Um, and there are two kinds of um, vowel harmony, twofold and fourfold. So and for the twofold, um, yeah, it means that there that uh, each suffix can either have e or a. So one example is um, the the plural suffix. Plural. So it your. could be either lar or lar. For house, it was. It was evlar. Mm -hmm. But for instance, we said door before kapu. Mm -hmm. Then it should be kapular. And that's because of uh, in uh, if there is the. The last vowel of the word is e, and because um, e is a front vowel, the suffix also needs to have the a front vowel. And with the door, the last vowel is this e, and this is a, a back vowel, and that's why we need to have a. That's that's the rule for this um, uh, twofold vowel harmony. And the second, the fourfold, is actually the reason for the many us, <laughs> um, because here you have to uh, take care both of frontality and rounding. So, for example, 
uh, if you say my house, this evim, mm -hmm. this im, mm -hmm. I think this is uh, an example for the suffix yes. where you have to, this fourfold. Yes, it can be evim, or let's say it is my rose, and rose is gül. Mm -hmm. So this first u, yeah. <laughs> and the second u comes gülüm. Yeah. So this is my rose. Um, and oy, for instance, vot. If you want to say my vot or yum, and what is left? The e u. Ah, I should find something with u. Um, how about daughter? Daughter kız, and kızım. If you put uh, more suffixes like that, so for example, for uh, daughter, if you um, want to say um, our daughters, for instance, mm -hmm. then you should have kızımızın, mm -hmm. <laughs> so all of them being ı. Yeah. But of course, if you want to say our roses, <laughs> of our of our roses, gülümüzün. <laughs> yeah. So that's where the many us come yeah. from. <laughs> But yeah, it's interesting why why the, this U is so prominent for the Germans because I mean, kizimizim uh, also sounds kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, but as time. I tell you, maybe Germans don't hear. Yeah, ma there maybe it's just like oh, they said U. I know this. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite words is for iron, <laughs> like uh, yeah. <laughs> Utu, and then when you put out something, it's like utumuzu. Utumuzun, yes, <laughs> you can say. It sounds kind of kind of cute. Oh, we have one. Um, I don't know how to call it, like sentence. Um, it is interesting in the sense that uh, it is actually repeating the same word three times, and uh, basically. The first two are a noun, and the third one is uh, the question clitic. But as I tell you, th three of them are the same. So that could be interesting for you because it has a lot of us. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, basically, it is, the sentence is müdür, müdür, müdür. <laughs> and the meaning is, uh, is the uh, manager a manager? Like... <laughs> So, <laughs> a lot of us, and you're repeating the same word all the time. <laughs> so, what is the meaning of the manager? Müdür yeah. means manager. Okay. The second one is asking again. Mm -hmm. Müdür. So, in English, you are also repeating twice, right? Is mm -hmm. the manager manager? Aha, okay. Uh, but is part is this clitic, question clitic, müdür. Mm. And <laughs> that's why it is müdür, müdür, müdür. So it's kind of a tongue twister. Like yeah, this, but, uh, like I think, yeah, it <laughs> might fall in this group. So it's not yeah, like hard to tell, but yeah, yeah, kind of a, kind of funny too. Yeah, yeah, some kind of. Yeah, so definitely there, there are some um, interesting things when you learn Turkish. That, I, yeah, actually, I don't, I don't have the feeling that it's that it would be so hard to learn. It, it all seems to be really regular, actually. So you don't have stuff like irregular verbs, for example, because it's all, if you know the suffixes and how to use them and how to use this uh, vowel harmony, then all you have to do is put together the, <laughs> <laughs> the suffixes. Um, the thing that is, of course, a 
a bit hard if you yeah if you don't have a, a Turkic native language is that the words are yes. really different. They are different than the uh, apart from some Indo-European language. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Of course, we have a lot of loan words from French, and now recently, of course, uh, a lot of English words. Um, but apart from that, it is quite different. So, I got a um, a request from a listener to talk a bit about computational linguistics. Because uh, in the beginning, I said that um, I studied computational linguistics and that it's about um, yeah, basically processing natural language um, with a computer. And I got the request to, to talk more about that, um, about the things you can do as a job and uh, about uh, the different um, tasks. And I think that's a, a good idea. I also consider to maybe talk in more general about jobs that have to do with languages. And as Özlem is also working in this field, I thought maybe we could start um, by talking about the specific challenges that uh, that you have when you process Turkish uh, on a computer. Um, but first of all, maybe you could try to explain what you do or what uh, your research is about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... Um I'm working in the field of parsing, which basically means that I um, work on computer programs that assign structures to sentences. For instance, let's say in English, when I say I ate an apple, uh, I say that apple is the verb in the sentence and I is the subject and uh, apple is the object. Mm -hmm. So I'm expecting the computer program to give me such an output saying that this uh, particular word functions as this in the sentence. And I do this um, also for Turkish. Uh, and uh, what we usually do is using statistical methods, which means that we collect data and uh, we try to have the already uh, the, these functions given to us and then we try the computer programs to learn given this data how to uh, process a new sentence that they haven't seen before so you have like um so it's called a corpus mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. a, a collection of texts and then someone some poor student <laughs> sat down and goes over <laughs> annotated for each word yes. uh, uh, or on, annotated the relations between relations. the words. We can have actually multiple level of annotations, meaning that first of all, we decide whether this is a noun or a verb, like mm -hmm. which is the part of speech uh, tag. And depending on the language, we can also de decide the morphological analysis. For instance, this is important for Turkish because it one word carries a lot of information like the tense and the um i don't know the uh, person marker for verbs or the uh plural suffix and the case marker for nouns so this could be also annotated and then we go one level up and then we 
also try to find the relations between these two words, like as I gave this uh, apple and ate example for English. Then, uh, as I tell you, so some, some poor student goes over all this and <laughs> uh, uh, goes through, find the uh, correct uh, representation for each level. Then we take this collection and then uh, this is where the uh, uh, computational part uh, comes into play. Uh, and then we um, use um, machine learning algorithms, for instance, so that the um, computers can extract the relations by looking at all these data. So it is a bit similar to human learning, I say. For instance, what we do is, uh, like as human beings, assume that you go to a, I don't know, a Chinese restaurant, and then you see some words frequently, and uh, those words happen to be uh, mapped to, let's say, English counterparts several times. And then you can have an idea about what this Chinese word is by looking at the frequencies and how they are combined with each other, right? So, so you can extract some information yourself from the uh, menu without any uh, explicit information coming from a Chinese dictionary or Chinese speaking person. Just from context. Just from context. By looking at things, you can actually learn the frequencies are important, which other words are, which words are coming together are important. This kind of statistical things. That's why we call our methods statistical methods, actually. And again, similar to human beings, um, computers are also capable of going over data and extracting some information thanks to these learning algorithms. And uh, this is basically the core of our research. We just use those algorithms. We just um, build some tools. And by using these tools, we just uh, process uh, data that is uh, normally not given as a, as, it, as a direct information to the computer. Mm -hmm. And why, why would you want to, to do that? So why, why do you want to pass uh, sentences? Are there any concrete applications where you would need that information? Uh, so you can uh, use uh, parsing in, in several end-user applications. One, one example I'm using when uh, talking about what I'm doing is <laughs> uh, machine translation, actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually, the first thing I ask people, when, because when people ask me oh, what I do, I say uh, computational linguistics or natural language processing, and usually uh, it could be a blank face. <laughs> and then I ask, oh, do you use uh, Google Translate? And most of the time, the answer is yes. Then I explain them that, okay, actually, this is not my actual field, <laughs> but uh, you do the pre I, I can do the pre-processing for you. And I can, I always give the example, especially, uh, so for instance, you, I can give example from English and German because English, uh, free, English word order is pretty much fixed. Whereas German has a free word order, 
I can say that you can uh, say I eat an apple, and um, in German you can say Ich esse einen Apfel. So if you have a dictionary, you can do one-to-one -one mapping. Uh, but assume that in German you said Einen Apfel esse ich. Then your one-to-one -one mapping just just by looking at the sentences would not give you the desired output for English. And uh, one thing to do it uh, in a in a more efficient way and to cover multiple things is to have some underlying structure for both those sentences. And then assuming that when the meaning of the sentence is identical in both languages, the structures will be more or less identical too. So if you already know that um, Einan Apfel is an object and an apple is also an object, what you do is to map an object to another object instead of mapping uh, words on the surface forms. Uh, so then all of a sudden, just by parsing things, you <laughs> gain the possibility of uh, representing free word order, for instance. It's so like magic. Is, yeah, it's like magic. <laughs> yeah, so especially for um, machine translation, after the examples we already had, like uh, relative sentences and um, these existence sentences, so um, some things are really there are really different constructions and I I, um, I think those can be challenging when translating between Turkish and English. They are actually. So we have given these um, preposition example, uh, multiple prepositions for uh, locatives in German, in English versus only one suffix for Turkish. So they really also the, as, as the uh, human speakers Uh, machine translation tools have the problem the of problems. <laughs> how to map things. Yeah. It is easier when you are going from English to Turkish because you know that when you see at, on, in, you would only map it to one locative marker. But when it is the other way around, you really don't know how to deal with it because the system, we already said that uh, as in human beings, uh, the system learns by looking at the existing data. But what it sees in the data is, let's say, 20 times this locative marker is mapping to on, I don't know, 50 times to add, 100 times to in. But then it is not really like mapping 120 times to only one thing so that you can really say that, okay, this corresponds to that because and house, for instance, an easier mapping, right? So you know, more or less. But when it comes to all these suffixes and things like that, it is really harder. And on top of that, of course, you don't know whether you should write them separately or not. That's another problem. And the third main problem is the word order, because it's quite different from the English one, which means that um, when you are doing these mappings, the spans are really long. And it could be one part could be somewhere and the other part could be on the other part. Uh, like, for instance, when we were talking about the relatives, uh, you can say that and I, and then they will go to different places on the Turkish side. And as I tell you, two suffixes that are next to each other in English could be 
two separate words which have really different places in the sentence in the English sentence so these kind of things are really problematic yeah and and speaking uh, about things that you don't observe in the data I guess that that's a general problem for Turkish because um, because of the agglutination so there are um, I mean you cannot see all the possible combinations in the data yes so like this Czechoslovakia example um, I guess that would be a hard one uh, to to yeah to process yes because of course so first of all again as compared to uh, languages which are not um, agglutinative or maybe not morphologically rich you would have a lot of word forms each inflection is yet another word for the computer so for human beings you can see the relation easily but uh, for computers unless you do not process them with some analyzer which we do actually these morphological analysis and everything uh, they are all just different strings to mm -hmm. the computer they can't really see the uh, how frequent that word is for instance And if you if you uh, have this morphological uh, analysis, mm -hmm. um, do you have problems with ambiguity? Yes, of course. So <laughs> they, the words can really get ambiguous, um, which again in, in the uh, process might cause problems. Uh, the normally our approach in parsing is first pre-processing the data because we already told about these layers like um, part of speech tagging and morphological analysis so what we normally do is really um, getting the results for each step one by one which means that the input to one step is the output of the previous step but then of course the none of these uh, automatic tools are working 100% so it means that when we make a mistake in step one, we propagate the mistake to the next level. And it is not easy not to make mistakes, also for the reason that uh, some of the disambiguation information comes from the upper level, from the second step, for instance. So you can disambiguate a morphological analysis only by looking at its syntax. But by the time you are doing the morphological analysis, normally you don't know the syntactic relations between them. And actually recently uh, uh, I had some uh, research on that. And uh, the alternative method could be trying to process all these things jointly, basically without deciding, let's say, the morphological analysis, but then looking at the morphological analysis together with the uh, syntactic analysis so that we can get more information at each step and then we can avoid making uh, mistakes and error propagation. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I guess we got an impression of the challenges um, in your work. Now let's come to the Uh, cultural part of this episode which is music once again so um, once again I looked up a song in Turkish uh, which is uh, released under a Creative Commons license it's called 
could you read the name of the, the name of the singer song? is Jan Kazaz and the name of the song is Hayat böyle demek ki which means such is life apparently the artist is um, from Istanbul and um, the song is extremely new it was uh, released just a few days ago you uh, you can find it on Bandcamp um, together with uh, all his other songs and uh, you can also buy uh, his songs there so we will hear the song in the end um, but before i would like to go through the lyrics so i would uh, ask you to to read uh, mm -hmm. each line and translate it uh, <laughs> more or less roughly and Maybe if we find something interesting to comment on in terms of grammar or morphology, then we uh, could do that as well. So, so the first sentence is "Geçen yaz babam ölmüş," uh, which is already hard to st uh, <laughs> translate, uh, as I will explain. So it says, "Last summer my father died." Uh, it's a simple sentence <laughs> so far. Um, The uh, hard part to explain is the use of tense, because actually in Turkish there are two past tenses, one of them being the past tense uh, that corresponds to this English past tense, for instance, when we say died, and the other one is, uh, is also a past tense, but has this connotation of being reported to the speaker. So, for instance, when you hear something on news and then you tell it to another person, if you want to say a big car accident happened, then you can use this. If you see the car accident yourself on your way home and then you are telling it to the person at home, then you would say a car accident happened. But if you heard it from somebody else, let's say, or on news or something like that, you can say a car accident happened as I heard or a car accident happened um, reportedly. Somehow you distinguish the things that you know and that you hear or you're not sure, basically. Mm -hmm. So it is that there is no direct English translation for that. So whenever I feel like I want to use that um, tense, I always have the urge to add a, an adverb, for instance, as I say, as I heard, or I say reportedly, <laughs> or apparently. <laughs> yeah. I, as I tell you, otherwise, I don't feel like I convey the exact meaning. So here, that's interesting because um, uh, the singer says, last summer my father died like he has to know it this tense makes sense only for the first moment he heard that his father died but within this context when he's talking about last year it doesn't really make sense but then i think because this is this is the uh poetic part of it i think he uses this tense in a way saying that things are happening around him and that he's not fully perceiving it, maybe. like That he didn't really realize it. Yes. In, I think he's trying to convey such a meaning together with this. So, and uh, Because the second sentence, which even makes less sense uh, with this tense, 
is a bir yılda büyümüşüm. Which means I was grown up in a year. So normally you can't really use that tense for yourself because you are supposedly are aware of yourself, what you are doing. Mm. <laughs> Mostly. Or actually this tense makes sense when you are saying that, oh, last night I was drunk and then I just... Uh, <laughs> Reportedly I was uh, <laughs> dancing no, on the table. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. This is just then uh, you would... You can just omit this, uh, I was drunk part. <laughs> And then you can say, oh, I was dancing uh, on the table. <laughs> But if you use that tense as your past tense choice, then it is perfectly <laughs> meaningful. <laughs> uh, so basically, he, he gives this um, impression that he is not aware of all these things happening around him or happening to, to him. So... And the suffix is this mush. Yes, uh, this mush. And then if it were the other suffix, it will be du. Geçen yaz babam öldü means last summer my father died. And geçen yaz babam ölmüş means okay. this other <laughs> unawareness, let's say. <laughs> Or I don't know. Bir yılda büyümüşüm. I was grown up in a year again with this mush. Ne söz ne teselli, neither words nor consolation. Uh, hayat böyle demek ki. Uh, such is life apparently. And then ardından yola düştüm. After that I went on my way is one translation. <laughs> Because actually yola düştüm is an idiom literally meaning fell to the road. Mm -hmm. um, Or maybe it's like hit the road. Yeah, I, actually we can say that, so. I guess. I think it's a good, good translation. I hit the road. Uh, aşk gördüm, deli oldum. I saw love, I got crazy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ne that's şen, what you ne do. Kederli. <laughs> Neither merry nor grieved. And then, hayat böyle demek ki. Such is life, apparently. And then the next four verses and... Ee, küçük bir evim oldu. I had a small house. Dost sevdim, eve aldım. I liked a friend, took him to my home, to my place. Ne kar ne güneşli, neither snow nor sunny. Hayat böyle demek ki. Such is life, apparently. <gülüyor> Yet another <gülüyor> interesting line is coming. <gülüyor> ee, i̇çmeden kafam oldu. <gülüyor> ee, Meaning, without drinking, I feel drunk. I think it's kind of a good translation, literally. The, this I feel drunk part, literally saying, I, my head become, or something like that. <laughs> Which is very colloquial way of saying that I have this, um, I felt this, uh, Mind of drinking alcohol, a bit like I I'm, I got tipsy, mm -hmm. I got drunk. Mm -hmm. uh, then kalbim taşlarıyormuş, my heart made stones tired. That is very that's that's not an idiom or anything. That's just the, it's just poetic poetic way of saying things. I think ne su ne de rüzgar, neither water nor wind. Hayat böyle demek ki, such is life apparently. Uh, Belki bir kızım olur. Maybe I have a daughter. 
ah beni benden alır, oh she sweeps my feet off, <gülüyor> then this beni benden alır is, a, is an idiom, meaning takes myself away from me. Ne saf ne de asi, neither innocent nor rebel, hayat böyle demek ki, such is life apparently. Hmm. Yeah, so actually a kind of sad song. Yes. <laughs> But it has some nice uh, pictures and some <laughs> nice, uh, yeah, po poetic ways to formulate things. Yeah. And you had you had another nice example from another song which uh, we wanted to mention. Oh yeah, so I was talking about this. I remembered this thing when we were talking about the um, the meaning that you can convey extra when you are using the. Uh, the suffixes mm -hmm. and then uh, there is another song from a Turkish singer named Candan Erçetin and in her song she says her aşk bitermiş öğretildim and then her aşk is every love bitermiş is uh, comes to an end but again using this mish suffix more or less saying that uh, she's Somebody imposed her to to uh, know that every love comes to an end. So she didn't directly know that all love comes to an end. And uh, the second part is even uh, more so about like imposing things, because öğretildim means I was made to learn. So basically. Uh, There are two derivational suffixes. One of them is the causative marker and the other one is the passive marker. So it says learn and then makes causative. I was caused, like, caused to learn and then it becomes passive, meaning I was caused to learn. So I basically <laughs> meaning that I learned, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Because if, if somebody is made to learn but by another person you just learn things but you just don't learn it yourself you are somehow forced to learn so uh, the, the the meaning it conveys is it is um it is not his own, her own willpower that <laughs> mm. that uh, that he she learned about the uh, about this thing like because in turkish you can actually just say random which means i learned yeah but instead she prefers to make it in a indirectional way um, to, to really make the difference about the willingness of learning, I think. Yeah, so it's really um, a nuance that yes. you, for, uh, yeah, to express that in English, you would use as many words as you just did. Yes, yes. But in Turkish, <laughs> I can just tell two words one after another and you can see that they are, both of them are kind of short, mm. but the difference in meaning is in a way mm. quite Uh, loaded, I would say. So the first word is öğrendim, and the second word is öğretildim. And with two suffixes, basically, uh, just the change of four characters, you can really convey much more uh, meaning. I think that's a good way to end here. So, teşekkür ederim. Rica ederim. Was that about right? <laughs> yes, that was really <laughs> very okay. understandable and very right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we will hear the song now. I say thanks for listening. And um, how would you say goodbye in Turkish? Hoşçakalın.
And that is um, literally... Literally meaning uh, stay well. Stay well. Okay, that's nice. So, hoshekalim. Hoshekalim. Thank you.